seems to me that there's different ways to access that third floor. Like there's the way of really being super self-reflective, meditating a lot, you know, creating a conscious path of growth for yourself, all these things that have been threading throughout our conversation. But, you know, there's also people who exist in this world who have never thought a moment about personal development, but who go out into the world and help the world become more alive. And those people seem like they're still presumably like, you know, someone who's going out working, helping children, you know, either a teacher or working with orphans or whatever it might be. Throughout history, the great questions have been asked and great research has been undertaken, always expanding the territory of the known by shining a light into the unknown. Where is that cutting edge today? And can a community of people from all over the world, each carrying their own unique journey of discovery, come together to inquire at the edge of purposeful evolution through conversation? At Portals of Perception, we think it is possible, and we hope that you will choose to be a part of this exploration. In part two of this conversation, we look at what's emerging and changing in our experience of the workplace and career. How can we make sense of and reframe this experience in a way that allows us to let go of rigid structures and free our creativity to look more for the emergent possibilities within a given problem or challenge? And it may just turn out that our ability to be in flow and with the way things are changing has a lot to do with the inner frameworks that we rely on to navigate our world. Join Aviv Shahar and Ariel Lavari as we explore the struggles of the new workplace in an evolving world with an eye to finding joy in the processes and challenges therein. Part 2 of Sensemaking for Life and Career. And you also wrote to me about the challenge and the struggle of trying to be strategic when you are not in a strategic or leadership role. What would you add to, to that? Because that's part of the conundrum yeah. of, of operating in the environment you operate in. I think part of it, part of it almost has to do with, I guess it's related to exactly what we've been talking about here, but that when you are trying to be strategic and frame a conversation and let's say you're giving a presentation and you create some framework to show the, you know, possible paths of strategy you might pursue, senior leaders tend to come to those meetings with their own frameworks already in mind, oftentimes and sort of will glance at your thing and then start talking about what they already had in mind. And then the issue there is that then you're not really getting that feedback on what it is you created and whether or not that actually facilitated the conversation. So it is up to you to really like figure out whether that was good or not, because oftentimes it's not a question of good or bad. It's just a question of like, is it going to be used? And I think that's something that I've struggled with a little bit over the last couple of months is getting into these meetings, spending a lot of work, being very intentional about how I'm going to approach the conversation and just then seeing it get, you know, derailed. I, I was going to say derailed, but then I, I was going to say that exact word and then I paused because I don't know if it's necessarily derailed. Maybe it's, it's not how I, how me in my sort of controlling way 
wanted it to be. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was the wrong thing for that moment. But yeah, derailed according to what I wanted to happen. Well, so I can approach this conundrum at, at the skill level, which is how do you apply presentation skills, framing skills to control the conversation when you are with, with a superior? That's one approach to this conundrum. The second approach, which, because when I initially read that bullet from you, it led me more into a reflection on the power dynamics and the difference between positional authority power to your own powers over yourself. And maybe I can bring up a slide in a minute and show you what I mean by that. So, so that's more your, the interior inquiry versus the exterior inquiry. Both are valid. The exterior is how will you next time shape the conversation in such a way that you get what you're hoping to accomplish for yourself in terms of your learning objective and the feedback objective. The, the thing about, and I've coached many people about how to present to senior leaders, and one of the key ideas in this coaching is they will look to poke holes in your system because that's why they're executive. They, they need to feel that they are satisfied in the conversation in some way, even when they are truly showing up with an interest to help you. And so you need to define what is the conversation space that you want to develop. What is, if you don't define what it is that you want them to offer you feedback on, they will find something else and will derail or not derail, take the conversation to simply whatever appears for them as the first opportunity to enter the conversation. Executives are paid to make decisions and to talk in meetings. So if you want them to talk in a meeting in a way that will be constructive and productive for you, you need to actually frame the arena of the conversation for them on the front end. That's a skill and uh, there is a way to do this. So that's one area. The completely other area to reflect on is, is the power dynamics. So um, let me just take a quick look at this. So that's you and your boss. And we're looking for a minute at the power dynamics. And typically it looks like this. The boss has the positional authority power and that's the influence on you. And the question is, what power do you have in this situation? And how can you be compliant I don't like the word compliant. How can you be responsive and appreciative of the opportunity in the professional space and excel in it and thrive in it and at the same time respond to a different power other than simply the positional authority power of your boss? And so I'm asking what powers are available for you? And I'm proposing that there are several powers that are available for you that potentially reframe the power dynamics and potentially can be not just a gift for you, but a gift for your boss. And I, my guess is you have done some of that with various bosses you've had in the past. Let me just name what I'm talking about. So these are several powers that are not power you will have over your boss, but a power you will, or any, over any other person. These are powers you have over yourself. The power of self-awareness, the power that you have somatic awareness in terms of being able to ground yourself in the way you described earlier in the conversation, 
where you can mentor yourself or gauge yourself to enter that flow state of readiness to be responsive, to be emergent, to listen what is turning up in you. That is a power that is sourced not in the company, in the corporate environment at all, but is more a permanent line of power that's available for you. The second power is the power of authentic inquiry. This is what I suggested earlier of how do you make sure that you are inside a bigger project or, or an adjacent project to the one you are working for and get paid for. As an example, you may say, I have a deep, genuine interest to understand how large groups of people can produce breakthrough outcomes. And guess what? I'm in the perfect position to actually research this inquiry to while I'm doing my work for the company I'm serving and the company is using my creative genius in this space, I actually am using my experience as a way to engage with a lifelong inquiry. And you don't necessarily have to decide right now that you will write a book about this inquiry, but it somewhere it's in the back of your mind You'll either write a book about it or you will do your PhD on this or you will develop something else relative to that because that authentic inquiry is even more long-lasting as a living issue for you than actually the context or the, the, for instance, of the corporate environment. In other words, you place a bigger inquiry than the one you're serving and you let that be the the umbrella under which you work. So while you work on something here for the company, you have a bigger umbrella of inquiry and that provides you authenticity and power. And I mean, it could lead to you writing a book. It could lead to you at some point launching your own consulting practice like, like I have done and using your experience to power that. You don't have to necessarily make the decision. What you say is, I have an even bigger inquiry that leads me. The third power is the power of a learning focus. So you are in, that's similar to the second, but you are in whatever it is you are doing and you're saying, guess what? I am engaged in the learning and the development. Even when I'm in the dialogue with my boss, he is the boss, she is the boss. And I am in the circumstance serving the need, the situational need, the company's need. I am equally engaged with my own learning as a professional, as a leader, by seeing and observing what works. That is an authentic power that is not governed by the power dynamics that are more transient in the corporate sense. The fourth is what we spoke about earlier in the conversation the power of a cause that you choose to serve over and above the situational dynamics you're in. And the fifth is what we also talked about before, the power of purpose, your determination to follow the line of purpose. I became very interested in my early 20s to define my purpose in life. And I kept iterating on that. And earlier on in my early 20s, I said that my purpose in life is to discover my purpose. 
And then I said later in my late 20s that my purpose in life was to help other people discover their purpose because I was beginning to define my own. And then I discovered that actually the way to do that and then I wrote my purpose is to help people discover their core values and get in touch with the natural brilliance and genius. So I continue to evolve my purpose definition and every time it gave me, it wasn't just words on a piece of paper, it was an umbrella issue that propelled my inquiry and allowed me to be in different settings to alter the, the dynamics that, that I was in essentially to extract the value that the situation provided for that. So here is my final point here that when you come from any of these, the, the boss, whoever that is, the, the person who had the positional power becomes another human. And you actually awaken, you help awake in them the same authentic powers, whatever is authentic for them. And often when I coach executives in terms of how they present to their superior, I say to them, don't hide behind your slides, please. So that's why I remove the slide. <laughs> Be a human being in the situation. Most people in the corporate space crave the authentic engagement. If you can come from something that's authentic for you, you will awaken, you will catalyze that in them, and they will kind of move from a semi-sleep state to the alert state in the middle of the day, they will be innovated, energized, because you allowed yourself to embrace your own humanity, you allowed yourself to be vulnerable, and you proffered that gift to them. That is you, in this case the subordinate, leading without a positional authority, but leading through the power of authenticity because you're in touch with yourself. I guess there's almost two elements there because there's the effect on someone else that you being in touch with yourself can catalyze in them, right? Which are all the things you just listed. And then there's also the added thing of, you know, you being deeply curious about that. And I think that's probably the one thing that I would add that was maybe missing from that list is, you know, the deep questioning of what is it like to be you? and that being the other person. And I think that's been something that, you know, I've been thrown into some positions over the last couple of months where I'm presenting to senior leaders who are like just way above my pay grade of who I should be presenting to. And the thing that keeps me rooted and not getting totally freaked out is stepping into that space of inquiry about them largely. I think, I think the thing that's been missing is the stuff more about me. But I do think one of my strengths is always being able to tap into a deep curiosity around their experiences, what made them the way they are, how they think. And I think that that ability to almost create a mental model around what the other person's mental model is, or to be able to like, you know, like I feel like I can work with a senior leader for a couple of weeks and pretty quickly note down a few of their core principles and what it is that they keep circling back to, what is it they really care about and value at the end of the day. So yeah, I, th I would say that's just the one thing I would add to that list. 
And in my experience, when you're able to turn around and give them them, give them themselves back with these kind of outlines or frameworks or mental models, sometimes they will appreciate it very much because they will get the, the reflection, the constructive reflection. They've not been offered before. So have you tried to do that? Or, or are you more doing it as a clandestine, under-the-radar work to interpret who they are and work to serve their need, but not actually offering them that kind of uh, yeah. framing? I'd say it's more that. It's more that then going forward, anything I work on for them will be created and positioned with those, with what I've extracted in terms of what I think their values are will be created with those in mind, such that, you know, if, if someone, you know, really values, like, just getting out there and doing something rather than like, you know, slow deliberation and careful thought, then, you know, I'll make sure to show some element of action in whatever we're doing and not, and, you know, kind of frame the conversation more around the actions that we're taking, less the reasons of why we're taking them. Small things like that. But I think, yeah. I guess so, there. so perhaps I can propose that we revisit a framework or a mental model or a map of meaning that we reflected on a few years ago, I believe, when we looked at the Reframe Workshop experience, that in which we can place everything we looked at as a, um, as a framework, as a modality that will hold that, that you can travel back to it. In essence, everything that I'm proposing today can find a place inside the three-story house consideration. The three-story house is one of those frameworks that appeared in a live coaching conversation with a senior executive where she was describing some of her challenges and I proposed that we looked at what what she was grappling with through the lens of the three-story house and the, the teachable and the discovery inside there was ultimately you have to work on all three floors. Since then, this became a framework that I've applied with leadership teams all around the world and people love the liberation that it provides them. And in very simple terms that I don't have right now here, I could probably find the slides, but I, I will do this without a visual just so you can imagine it. What we say there is that when you work on the ground floor, it's when you work in the business. So you have your role, you have your commitments, you have your deliverables, you have the projects that you're leading. And when you work in those projects and you're accelerating their outcomes and what those outcomes enable the company, you're working on the ground floor. What we then say is that you cannot, no one can, these days afford to just work on the ground floor. In most companies, when you're hired to a role, you're expected to work on the ground floor and step into the second floor. If on the ground floor you worked in the business, on the second floor you work on the business. That means you look at what you're doing and you're continually innovating and transforming your work. You may say that your specific role is actually largely already a second floor job. You are tasked to look at the challenges, 
and come up with new innovative ways to discover how to solve to the the workforce in new ways that will deliver the results the company is looking to produce. That distinction is very important. Do you just work on the ground floor? Do you, in the business, do you work also in the second floor where you work on the business? And then the majority of our conversation today includes the realization that we have to, to step into the top floor, the third floor, where you work on you. Because, and this is where the, the morality and the, the company ethics, even in allowing that kind of reciprocity. My premise is to the degree that you get to step into the third floor and become more in touch with yourself. Who are you? What drives you? How can you be more effective? How can you be more inspirational for the people that, that are around you? What are the capacities and skills that you will develop next? How can you become more of a resilient person? How can you be more spontaneous and, and more enter flow states? All those are inquiries that belong on the third floor where you work on you. I'm proposing that to the degree that you're able to, during the work experience, attend to that, you ultimately become more effective on the second and on the ground floor. And what I'm also proposing is that you need to develop the hydraulics to inside the workday, build yourself the capacity to work up and down the floor, those floors, go down to the ground floor, come back to the second floor and climb to the third floor. And when I work in, with my coaching clients, we develop the rituals the, of during the day, the times during the day where you step out. Obviously, we've been now through a, a year and more that we've been working from home, but how do you manage your day to make sure you have these transitions such that you work the hydraulics of those three floors is critical strategy in terms of planning and managing your day and your week. So wh- which part of this resonates and uh, how would you Embrace something like this in a practical way for yourself and how do you make sure that you work in your professional life on all three floors? Well, as you said, I definitely think I spend almost all my time on the second floor to start with. I think that's... By definition, it's your job, yes? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, the first floor isn't probably as relevant. By the way, way, that would often be the case also to many senior executives. Yes. They are not supposed to work on the ground floor. Their job is to work on the business. But there too, I would make the distinction that when they look at the operational elements of the work, they are actually coming into the ground floor. When they invest and mentor the people and the way the business is operating, they are working on the second floor. Yeah, fair enough. That's a good distinction. Because then, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I still have to, analyze data and write reports and do all that stuff which is that's right that's for you the ground floor yeah 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 you know it obviously it it resonates i think in terms of getting to that third floor i like that you were hinting at some some rituals to do that because i think that's probably probably what i'm missing it's almost like i haven't built up enough habits some sort of subconscious impulse that pushes me in that direction you know uh, either a 
set time or a set context or whatever it is that 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 allows you to kind of disconnect and step into that space a little bit more because right now during the workday I think I spend very little time on that third floor I mean maybe when when I'm talking with my boss about career development and what my aspirations are like sure then I'll, then I'll start thinking a little bit more about, about my deeper values but day to day it does feel like that is pretty sparse and it's only at the end of the day you know when I'm sitting with my partner or when I'm you know, on a walk in nature that I'll, that I'll reconnect with that sort of stuff, I guess. Well, can I just quickly on this offer simple awareness that you already just hinted to right now? You can develop a whole range of rituals. The, the purpose of the rituals and where I would advise to that you, you reflect on is in, you have to take it from your head into the physical body. It has to become kinetic. So rituals would often involve walking out of your space to another space, becoming yeah. physical, becoming kinetic. And rituals would often involve change of scenery, change of environment. Again, taking it from your head, from an intention, to a physical movement and to a physical scenery where you go to a different part of the house or you go out of the house. I have had for years in a particular place where I worked, the ritual that during lunchtime I would walk a few blocks to a, to a specific tree. It was a large, beautiful tree. And that was for me a ritual where I grounded myself back in what was, what was I working on in myself. <laughs> Fair enough what was happening in the exterior environment. It was a physical movement associated with a physical destination, with a physical object, a, a beautiful large tree. There was a link that I created in this ritual of how it would ground me in what mattered most for me. And I was always replenishing and recharged by that experience. Very simple. Yeah, I think there's also an interesting insight in that, which is that sometimes the best way to connect to yourself is to connect to things outside of yourself and to like even something as simple as a tree. I've found that to be a really powerful practice, just sitting underneath a tree. And it, some, anything that helps you sort of ascend beyond the confines of your own body, your own meat bag, I think it is one of the surest ways to start actually connecting to yourself, at least in my practice. Like especially, if you're just... Especially when you live, you live in, a, in such a beautiful place like the Pacific Northwest and you, you don't have to travel very far. To, you are surrounded with beautiful trees all around you. Exactly. Becoming intentional, becoming practical and practicing the discipline is where the difference is. Yeah. Yeah, there's something there. Something around not just... You're not just reflecting on yourself the, the, it's almost like the third story has more than just you living in it and yeah. yeah it's you it's the interconnections between you and your family and your loved ones and and the natural world around you maybe there's a fourth floor i don't know <laughs> well no what you are simply beautifully alerting us to is that the third floor has a um, skylight to it where you commune with all that 
is superior than you in terms of uh, the blessing realms, the causing realms, whatever you associate with your purpose, your spirit, or, or any other framework or language that, that resonates there for you, your reason for being. And what you are beautifully describing is that it is not just about you, it begins with you, but it, it continues and evolves into everything around you, which is why, as we started and talked about the universal operating system, you're really describing that the third floor is a place for you to enter your communion with the universe. You may call it in different words, but that's the potential of what that third space is about. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that it seems to me that there's different ways to access that third floor. Like there's the way of really being super self-reflective, meditating a lot, you know, creating a conscious path of growth for yourself, all these things that have been threading throughout our conversation. But, you know, there's also people who exist in this world who have never thought a moment about personal development, but who go out into the world and help the world become more alive. And those people seem like they're still presumably like, you know, someone who's going out working, helping children, you know, either a teacher or working with orphans or whatever it might be, they're, you know, leading lives of incredible purpose and they might not be consciously aware of that third floor or like consciously trying to develop themselves, but they're still doing it. So I think there's just some, some awareness that you can get to that third floor through inward action, but you can also get there through just going out into the world and putting yourself in challenges and, and through, yeah, much more just external sort of stimuli that's a very important um, awareness and and uh, a call out there are probably as many ways as there are people to get to the third floor you could probably describe them in five or six or seven main path the there is the knowledge path through the inquiry and study there is the more reflective as you call interior meditative contemplative path there is the communal path of doing, stepping into that space together with others. There is the path that's more artistic and expressive and will look to through a variety of uh, art and or music and variety of other media to actually enter that space through that part of your gifts and, and brilliance. And there is what you pointed to, which are people that are more wired to be in service to variety of causes and they actually by stepping into service or by stepping into working in a communal situation that actually is how they find themselves in the third floor so the importance in this call out area is we, we should never be prescriptive we should offer the space and let the person discover the several ways they can walk into uh, this space what is important and there is no way to overemphasize this because it's so easy to to get distracted and, and wake up five or ten or fifteen or twenty years later in your life and remember that you left something you intended to be important for you is the part i'm saying you we cannot overemphasize is nobody else but you can step into your third floor so if you don't attend to that space that space is left locked and not attended to and is left as an unrealized space. So in, in a way, I suppose what we're saying in that, 
the birthright charge for each one of us is to discover why we're here and what is the reason and, and purpose that we, we may choose to serve that will become the overarching propulsion of our lives. And each person may choose a different language to describe that. But I would, in my practice, I hold to every person, I try to hold to every person, that that's your space that you're in charge of. Absolutely. Yeah. So how about that as a placeholder for exploration? The beauty of today is you come into this conversation raw inside the trenches of professional life that can, in most cases, is a challenging and testing experience for most people in the first several years, sometimes the first five, sometimes the first 10 or 15 years of of their career until they find a way to more fully integrate some of the dimensions we just spoke about. Because you are grappling through the friction of how can you integrate these ideas into a living flow where you no longer need to worry about the hydraulics of going up and down through these flows. They actually work for you. So, so much of the work you now do is work you are investing in in systems that will then support you. I equally do believe that some of the work you've done academically that you said is now on the back burner, some of it could be, will be, likely will be activated in a different way in two years, five years, six years. This is where, again, being attuned and engaged in your own exploration is so... uh, so rich and so important. So any closing thoughts from you? I, I'd say for, for me, what I appreciate is you, you bringing the rawness of the inquiry of how to navigate these spaces through your experience. Yeah. No, I appreciate that call out. I think um, as I was quickly telling you before we got chatting, it's much easier to approach these types of conversations when you feel like things are all really going well and that you're really succeeding and that everything you did in terms of school is applying well to what you're doing now and, you know, you're killing it in a positive way. But, um, you know, I don't think that's usually the case for most people. And and when it comes down to it, that's also not what most people necessarily want to hear. They want to hear the struggles. They want to hear the authentic realness of wherever it is you are at. And, you know, that provides a lot of peace to a lot of people I think so I am glad the conversation went that direction I'm glad it wasn't just me trying to you know show off my ego and show how accomplished I am um, because that's definitely a natural impulse I think for many people me included so thanks for creating that space that, that allowed for a little bit more realness thank you very much Thank you for listening to Portals of Perception. If you're enjoying these dialogues, we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash portals. Visit portalsofperception.org for exclusive content. Please share this episode with a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.